Hello everybody and welcome to Always Bothered or welcome back to Always Bothered if you've tuned in before. I'm your host Elise Garcia and today we're going to talk a lot about fashion and beauty trends, famous people, what's going on in the world, and of course what's bothering you guys. Uh, this week's episode is not going to feature a book review yet. I know I told you guys it'll be the fourth episode of every month, but don't forget I did it on the first episode of this season, so the book review will be happening next week. And without further ado, let's get into it. So let's get into what's bothering me as always. So what's bothering me this week? Well, this week I have finally gone to enjoy some sunshine here in Texas because it's been raining for like literally three weeks straight and my sister actually has a pool. So naturally I was like, all right, I'm going to go swimming, going to get a tan. And that's exactly what I did. And before I went to the pool, I thought to myself, oh man, I need to shave because I haven't shaved in a while and I don't want other people to have to see my bikini area. And then I was like, wait, I don't have to shave. I don't have to shave for anybody. I don't have to shave for any reason. I only have to shave if I want to shave. And this is not like a mind-blowing revelation for me. I have probably thought about the beauty standards relating to Uh, women's body hair like a million times throughout my life by now but it's really impressive to me that every single time I think about shaving and the expectations towards women about shaving I get equally pissed off every single time every single time and it's shown me that this is something that is still a hot topic for me because I struggle with it even myself. Like when I see other women with body hair or without body hair, I don't care. Same for men, same for people of any gender. I don't care what other people are doing with their bodies as long as it's not affecting me. And, but for myself personally, when it comes to shaving, I have a complicated relationship with it. And it's because the feminist in me is like, you know what? I'm not going to shave because who who am I to conform to other people's expectations, especially males' expectations, that I need to treat my body a certain way to be awarded their validation and their attraction to me? Like, that's a game that I'm not interested in playing. But it's also the realization that feminism is so much more than what you do with your body. Intersectional feminism as a movement um, and as an identity is so much more than the physical choices I make about my body. And it's ironic, I think, because when you think about, you know, feminism and what feminist sort of actions or choices you can do, you think about things like not conforming to beauty standards. You think about things like doing whatever you want with your body. And that's true. And that's really important to Uh, women liberation and women empowerment but it's tricky because at the same time sometimes body hair really is fucking annoying and I don't know if that's just something that is a personal problem for me uh, or what exactly is going on but I'll go through this phase of like shaving my legs every week or every other week for a few months And then I hit a phase of, I'm actually not going to shave anything for a few weeks or a few months. And then I return back to the other cycle of shaving every week or every other week. And there's absolutely no consistency in it. It's really random. I just randomly decide I'm going to have body hair for a few months 
or I randomly decide I'm not going to have body hair for a few months. But the thing that's annoying about both of them is when I'm shaving every week, it's exhausting, like really, really exhausting. And I think what it is, and this is what I'm getting to here, is I get burnt out of trying to conform to beauty standards whether I realize it or not, like on a subconscious level, meaning I'm not always trying, pretty much never am I trying to conform to beauty standards, but on a subconscious level, there is a part of me that randomly feels the need to do these things and I can't pinpoint what it is. Some of it is rooted in self-care because it does feel really good to shave your entire body and then get into like a bed that you just change the sheets of and you light a candle and it smells delicious and you blow it out and you go to sleep and you feel like a princess in her castle. At least that's what I feel like when I shave my legs and I have my whole like bedtime routine. But if I look more into it, and you know I'm going to look more into it because I analyze everything and everybody, it really makes me wonder what improvements I need to work on uh, for myself and the relationship I have with myself and my body. And it makes me wonder about what other women are facing and what other women go through and what other women, other women's relationship with shaving and beauty standards really is. And so that's what I really want to talk about today. And um, it, beauty standards as we know it are more than just how much hair do you have on your body. And before we fully move on from the shaving thing, I do want to point out how obviously exhausting shaving could be for women because we have to think about like what razors are we going to buy? Do we want to do waxing? Do we want to do laser hair removal? How frequent do we want our appointments? How much do they cost? How far is the place? What shaving cream do we use? Does it have any toxic ingredients in it? What creams do we need to have to prevent ingrowns? What specific direction do I need to shave in so I don't get ingrowns or strawberry legs as they call it, which is when you get a bunch of like red dots? How do I prevent razor burn on certain parts of my body? If I shave, how quickly will it regrow? You know, things like that. Like I can get into every single part of shaving and there's no need to because every woman listening to me knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying men don't have to consider the same things. But I would argue that it's not nearly to the same extent and not for the same reasons Um, and probably far less areas because most of the men I know and know of, not speaking for every man, has shaving predominantly to do with like their facial hair and like their pubic area, whereas women and with how far and how toxic beauty standards have become, women are basically expected to shave their bodies until they almost mimic like a child and they become this like completely bald creature. And obviously some people aren't into that, but a lot of people are, and it really makes me think about the beauty standards we have today. So let's talk about that. And past shaving, I really wanna talk about European-centric beauty standards. So what are European-centric beauty standards? It's basically exactly what it sounds like. They're also known as Eurocentric beauty standards. It's the preference and the standard for uh lightly colored or fairly colored people or just white colored people if you want to call it that which is what it is um it's trying to get as close to fair skin a skinny body a big boob a small nose a tiny waist uh and a larger butt it's like this expectation that one should have straight hair 
be skinny, have a dainty nose, have these beautiful eyes, uh, perfectly, you know, white teeth, and then this perfectly hourglass figure that has a lack of stretch marks and cellulite and aging and texture and scarring. It's kind of like a Barbie doll is really what, uh, when you think European or Eurocentric beauty standards, you can just think of a typical white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Barbie doll. That's what I think of. And listen, I'm not far off from that. I am somewhat skinny. I am white-skinned. I have naturally dark blonde hair that's currently platinum blonde. I have big brown eyes. I have bigger lips. I have like a smallish medium nose. Um, but my nose is pretty straight. It looks more like my... Um, like Hispanic families' noses, and it's weird for me, and that's why I wanna talk about it and why it's been pissing me off, because I've had a really complicated relationship with my body and my self-image, and I've only realized that it's because of Eurocentric beauty standards in the last year, and I'm surprised I didn't realize it sooner. I always knew about Eurocentric beauty standards, and as a white person, it made complete sense to me. I've totally seen why and how other people have wanted to resemble Western beauty standards. Like I've just seen that happen and I understood why it was happening because of like Instagram trends and makeup trends and fitness trends and all this stuff. But I didn't actually stop to think about how it affected me until recently. And now that I've been examining that, it's been really making me mad because I am white, but I am also Hispanic. And as a result, I have naturally fuller lips and I have wavy to curly hair. I also have a fuller nose than some white people I've seen who I know have more just like straight up like Eastern European blood or just European blood in general. And in middle school, I remember being made fun of because I had a bigger nose. And I remember people telling me I had a big nose all the time. Um, I remember people telling me that like my hair looks bad and making fun of me for how I did my hair because I had wavy to curly hair and I didn't know what to do with it. So I would either like leave it scraggly because I didn't know how to take care of it. No one ever taught me. Or I would put it in like a low bun and then just like put hairspray or gel on my hair and hope for the best. And honestly, the bullying, quote unquote, that I went through, I don't know that I would call it bullying. I mean, I guess technically it was bullying. The bullying I went through didn't really affect me that much. Like, that's not really what I cared about. What I cared about were the people that I saw online because growing up, those are the people that I looked up to because I, you know, you know, I'm a kid. I don't really have an understanding of what's going on in the world yet. So I look to these people who I see online, who are celebrities, who are models, who are influencers. And I saw a ton of people with straight hair and small noses. And for the next, like, decade of my life, I straighten my hair. So 10 through 20, I straighten my hair all the time, like almost every day. But over the last year, I realized, wow, this is actually awful for me. It's awful for my self-esteem. It's awful for maintenance. Like I hate the feeling that I, I'm not happy with myself unless my hair is straight. And luckily, over the last year, I have moved away from Eurocentric beauty standards, and I basically moved away from Euro Eurocentric beauty standards completely. 
and I've just focused on doing what makes me happy. And sometimes what makes me happy is getting up and blowing out my hair and straightening it. But most days it's actually leaving my hair completely natural, getting out of a shower and learning how to take care of my uh, waves and my curls by putting in creams and gels. And I feel extremely beautiful now, just completely bare-faced, glasses on, no makeup, no skincare even, and my hair is not even done. Like I am finally at a place where I feel beautiful that way, but it took me so long to get to this point because of Eurocentric beauty standards. And I'm not even gonna get into how it caused an awful relationship with me and my body for a few years. That's actually gonna be for next episode where I get into eating disorders and body dysmorphia, two very heavy subjects. But for now, I want you guys to know that Eurocentric beauty standards piss me the fuck off. And finally, the last thing that's been pissing me off that I wanna talk about really briefly is the pressure that people put on others to participate in certain fashion trends. Obviously, this applies more for women. This is a woman empowerment podcast after all, where I talk about women's issues, so no one should be surprised. But the amount of pressure that people put on women and people in general to participate in certain fashion trends is so exhausting. Like, we all know that capitalism is not particularly the best system to live under. Um, And I know that's a generalization. I know everybody doesn't feel that way. But capitalism as we know it it today is late-stage capitalism. We are in late-stage capitalism. And one of the things about late-stage capitalism is you have really high amounts of consumerism and turnover and you have what's called fast fashion. And now we're seeing... And we've seen, especially since COVID started, the rise of all of these micro trends where you have like really patterned pants or you have really small sunglasses or you have like a, like a, like a jort, like a, not a jort, a jert, (laughs) a jean skirt. I don't even know if that's a real word, but I made it up. And it's so exhausting as a person to try to keep up with all of those. So that's been pissing me off. And what it really reminds me to do, and I hope it reminds everyone listening to do, is that just be yourself. And I know that's such a like bullshit, like okay and sort of thing to say, but I really mean it because I think we're gonna see, and people have been predicting this online, I think we're gonna see the rise of your personal style being the supreme style through the 2020s. Now I don't know how long it'll last, but I hope that it certainly keeps going strong the way it has been because I think the best style you could ultimately have is your style. Just wear the weird pants, buy the weird shirt, wear the miscolored outfit, wear gold and silver together, mix patterns, play with different forms and shapes and figures, get to know what colors look the best, get to know what colors look the best on you. Go thrifting for clothes more often, use more secondhand clothing, you know what I mean? Like, I think we're going to see more people stepping into their own personal style, and I think we're going to see more people praising and actually wanting to develop their own personal style for the first time in a long time that we really haven't seen before in the fashion world recently. And I think that's a beautiful direction for this trend to go for women everywhere and people everywhere because it will allow us to not focus so much on consuming so many items of clothing that we will just throw out when the trend is over and people are shaming it. So I think it's better for everybody. But that is enough about me and what's bothering me this week. And it was longer than I thought I would go. I guess I was just that mad about different trends happening in the fashion and beauty world. 
but let's get into what's bothering you guys. And this week I have two different prompts from you guys. So the first prompt or question says, I am exhausting myself with my constant pursuit of trying to have it all, in quotes, and trying to balance everything, but I feel like I'm falling short constantly. I guess I'm trying to say that I'd really appreciate some advice on how to not be so hard on myself. And although I'm going to keep everybody anonymous, I do know this person, and I do want to say that I really resonate with you and I really understand you. I've been in this position plenty of times myself and I still find myself in this position every now and then. So I'm going to address this in two parts. The first one being trying to have it all and trying to find balance in everything. So I've heard this plenty of times. You can't have it all. You can't do everything. You can't have everything you want. And I don't know that I fully believe that because I'm an optimist sometimes, not all the time. But when it comes to this, I am an optimist. And I do think that you can have it all. If you want it all and you're willing to work for it, I think you can have it all. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get it every time, but I'm saying I think it can be achieved. And I think some people have achieved it. It's been done before. And I think what it comes down to is having like realistic expectations. And no, I'm not telling you to not follow your dreams. I'm not telling you to not believe in yourself. I'm not telling you that happiness is impossible or anything like that. I'm saying actually quite the opposite. And I'm really saying that I think a lot of happiness in life um, and balance to be found in life is actually hidden in the smaller things. And I think in a world where people try to make a lot of things about money and status and luxury and material things, I genuinely, and this is obviously personal, I genuinely believe that happiness comes from within and that balance all starts from within. And so I'm going to address that first and say that I think it's, number one, it is about you being too hard on yourself and I'll get to that next. But I think it's number two about the fact that people need to figure out what makes them happy from within first before they move on to trying to find happiness outside of them. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that for me personally, my happiness, my confidence, my security, my sense of home, all of these things, my love can all be found within myself. So it's much easier for me to find a balance in my life because I know myself really, really well. And so for you, I think it's about figuring more about who you are on the inside. And I know that's such a I know I've said that before too on the podcast already and we're only 20 minutes in. I know it's such a bullshit sounding answer, but it really is so true because I personally believe you can have everything you want if you set your expectations up realistically and you try to appreciate the smaller things in life and you try to figure out how much love you need from the different groups in your life and what that looks like for you. So how often do you need to see your family? How many passion projects do you need to be working on? Um, How often should you see your friends? What kind of friendships do you want to have? Do you want to have the friendships where you're going to a club every weekend? Or do you want to have other friendships additionally where you go on picnics or you go on, you know, intimate, I don't know, outings together where you can just talk about life and have a deep friendship with people? Um, How many... How much money do you need to earn to comfortably pay for a living for yourself? Like, this is a really long-winded way of saying 
what do you need to actually make you happy and not what do you need that you think will make you happy. Because I guarantee you, you've already been happy at certain points in, in your life. So think back to those moments and think about why were you happy? Was it because you had a million dollars? I doubt it. It's probably because you had, you know, a healthy relationship with your parents going on or because you um, achieved a milestone on a passion project you're working on or you, you know, read a really good book or listened to a really good podcast or saw a really good movie and it made you realize something in yourself. My point is that happiness shows up in different ways for people and I think people often overcomplicate it. And I think that when you look to studies like the one done at Harvard where they studied happiness and the longevity of people's life and um, how satisfied they were with their life, it all came down to relationships and um, specifically their relationships with themselves, their family, their friends, their coworkers. So I think people overcomplicate happiness and success and trying to have it all. So my first tip and my biggest one Uh, is to manage your expectations and figure out where your happiness lies. So what does your happiness rely on? And then the second thing and addressing the not being so hard on yourself thing, I think you need to remind yourself that you are only human. And having known this person, I actually know how old they are. And so I want to say you're really, really, really young. And to me, it doesn't even really matter how old you are almost, but I, I just think that people who are younger are so much harder on themselves. We just have less life experience. Our brain isn't developed. And most of all, we live in a world of social media where everybody compares their lives to everything and they're always trying to see who's doing what and what's the next thing they can achieve and who can they show up and who can they do better things than. And it's not about that. And if you live your life comparing yourself to other people that way, you're always going to feel like you're falling short. You're always going to be hard on yourself. So I don't know the root cause of you being hard on yourself, but I do know that generally uh, comparing yourself less to others or not not comparing yourself to people as much as you possibly can would probably be super beneficial. And I think to also remember that a lot of the beautiful things in life happen by accident or by chance. And you can try to plan your entire life out, but it probably won't go that way because life is weird and weird things happen all the time. So as to how not be so hard on yourself, I'd say you need to look within. You need to love yourself more. You need to heal the inner child in you that is a perfectionist and um, you need to get to the root cause of this voice in your head that is talking to you. Is it really your voice in your head? whose voice is it? Where did the voice come from? When did the voice start to emerge in your head? Because I know for me personally, I have a mom who was really specific about how she wanted things to be done and she really wanted me to achieve success for myself. So she was pretty hard on me sometimes and her expectations of me. So that voice, my mom's voice manifested in my head and now is the voice in my head that sometimes tells me to do certain things or tells me I'm not doing enough or I'm not achieving enough. But what I've had to do personally is address that voice in my head and heal it and address my inner child and talk to myself like I wish I would have been spoken to when I was younger. So for me personally, that's telling myself, I'm not where I want to be, but I will get there. I'm not at the point that I'm at, but I am working to get there actively and I know I'm doing what I can. I'm not being lazy. I'm not slacking. I'm going at my own pace and everything will happen as it needs to happen. 
And I think that's the best advice I could give you personally. Without knowing any other details, I'd say that you need to figure out um, the times in your life where you've been the happiest, why you were like that, where your happiness truly lies in, and address the voices in your head that are talking down to yourself and beating yourself up because it probably comes from your childhood or from some perfectionist in your head that makes you feel like you need to be doing things at a certain rate. And if no one else will tell you it, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to live your life by a certain model. You don't need to achieve things by a certain age. You can hit any milestone at any age. And all of the greatest success stories I've ever heard from people are people who went on really unexpected paths or had really unexpected things happen to them because that's just how life goes. And you never know where you're going to be in five years or 10 years, but you have control over where you can be in five to 10 years. And the rest is up to the universe, honestly, and whatever you believe in. Just know that if you're working to achieve a life you really, really want, then you're doing all that you can do. And that's the extent of the control you have in the world. So find confidence and peace in knowing that you are an ambitious person and you can probably do anything you want to put your mind to. You just have to also love yourself because if you're being really aggressive on yourself and telling yourself, oh, I need to do this, I need to achieve this, I need to uh, meet this deadline, then you're forgetting about your needs. You're forgetting about your basic need of love and you're forgetting that you need to love yourself to discipline yourself. If you discipline yourself without love, you're just bullying yourself. You're just beating yourself up. You really need love and kindness to really discipline yourself because without it, you're just a bully. And I know I said it twice, but I feel like I need to say it twice because I really need everyone to hear that and take that in. So let's move on. The next prompt says, I need advice on leaving a relationship that no longer serves me and I've never been single. And that is a really, really interesting prompt. I was hoping someone would submit this sooner rather than later. And I'm sorry to hear that you're in a relationship that is no longer serving you. And I understand how frustrating that can be. And luckily, I have some experience on this myself. So I started dating when I was in seventh grade, which is a really, really young age to start dating. And I was in consecutive relationships all the way until basically my freshman year of college. So seventh through ninth grade, I was in a relationship with a woman. It was unofficial, but looking back, it was pretty official and it was a pretty deep bond I had with that person. And then I had a few relationships with a few guys I had another few encounters with women here and there, and then I met this guy that became my first serious heterosexual relationship in my senior year of high school that lasted until my freshman year of college. So all of this is relevant because I was in consecutive relationships. That means from 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. So like five or six years straight, I was in relationships in the most formative years of my life. And having, knowing this person um, and how old they are, I know that they're also really, really young. They being the person who submit this prompt. So I wanna say that there's something beautiful about having relationships in your formative years, because a lot of people will say that it can be, you know, toxic and damaging, and that's true. You know, it depends on who you are and who the other person is, 
but I think it's also a beautiful thing to learn more about yourself and to grow. And it sounds like you've done it enough to realize that you're in a relationship that's no longer serving you, just like you said. And you're trying to work on leaving the relationship, but you've never been single. So what I hear is someone who has maybe a more anxious attachment style, which is basically an attachment style where you cling on to people and you don't want to let go. That's what you sound like. That's where I used to be in as well. Like that's the attachment style I also used to have. And I can totally understand why this would be scary to leave a relationship when you've never been single. So I'm going to tell you what I wish someone would have told me and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You need to be single and you need to do it because you need to love yourself before you love anybody else until you get your shit together. And I'm not saying you don't have your shit together and I'm not trying to send you any hate. I'm just trying to tell you exactly what I wish someone told me, which is that there is beauty in being single and that there's nothing to be ashamed of in being single. And it's actually a very beautiful experience, especially as a young woman or a young person, because Although people tell you that you should kind of be in this rush to find your soulmate, to find the love of your life, that's not my philosophy. I think you should try to be the best person you can possibly be and you will attract or find the right person for you and you will set up a relationship that works for you guys as long as it works. And you've said that you're in a relationship that no longer works. So the best thing you can do is walk away and how you want to do it is completely up to you. But I think it could be as simple as saying, hey, I really appreciated the relationship we've had and the love we've exchanged. You've taught me a lot of lessons and we've grown a lot together, you know, if that's true. But unfortunately, this relationship is no longer serving me. I'm not deriving any personal satisfaction, growth, or happiness from it anymore. And I feel it's best to move on. I wish you the absolute best in life. And then cut ties. And I know that's way easier said than done, but this is why you should do it. You've never been single. You've never gotten to completely know yourself in solitude. You've probably never taken yourself out on dates. You've never had a period in your life where you just sat with yourself. And I think that's one of the best things anybody could ever do. And I had the privilege of living by myself um, when I was 19 years old. I lived in my own apartment. I also paid for it and everything. And I got to just sit with myself for months at a time. When I was single... You know, I was in a relationship for some parts of being in my apartment, but being able to just sit with myself in my solitude and get to know myself the best was a life-changing experience. And I contribute all of my happiness that I have derived since then um, to that experience. And I think that the best possible thing you can do for this scenario is respectfully break up with your partner and move on and cut ties with them so you can really focus on yourself And then I think you should actually make it a point to be single. And, you know, you might be a beautiful person who also wants to meet all these beautiful souls in the world, but sometimes you need to focus on yourself. And you're finally at that point where you're in a relationship that's not serving you. You've never been single. Well, what I hear is it's time for you to be single. And I know it's scary, but I promise you can do it. And I promise you will come out of the other side of solitude being much happier that you chose to put yourself first because that's what you're doing. And I think that's the ultimate act of love is to put yourself first, especially when you know it's the right thing to do. And it sounds like you know it's the right thing to do. So I don't need to tell you that. 
And the final thing I want to say is that in a world that obsesses over romantic love and fairy tale loves, so many people forget that the only person you absolutely know you will live and die with is yourself. So before you spend your entire life dedicating it to trying to find the right person or have this fairy tale love, you need to focus on yourself first. You need to fall in love with yourself first. And I'm not saying you can't fall in love with other people without falling in love with yourself first, but I'm saying to access the healthiest, most empowering, most liberating, most loving relationships you'll ever have in your entire life, it will happen after you love yourself first. Now, sometimes it can happen at the same time, but my point here is you should fall in love with yourself first by finding out what do you love to do? What are your favorite hobbies? What music do you love to dance to? Go have naked dance parties with yourself in your bedroom alone at two in the morning. Go take yourself on a date and eat your favorite snacks and listen to your favorite podcast or just sit in silence and people watch. You know, you can absolutely be in love without being in a relationship because you can be in love with yourself and not in a narcissistic, toxic way, but in a very uh, independent woman, bad bitch. I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to achieve all my dreams. I'm going to do it all kind of way. And so many women have done it before and you can absolutely be one of those women and there's nothing holding you back except yourself. So it's time for you to be single, break up with that person, and go live for yourself and find what serves you alone. What serves your community? What serves your heart? What makes you happy? What makes you laugh? What makes you feel alive? What makes you feel excited? What are you eager to do? What have you been dying to do? What's a dream you wanted to achieve that you've never gotten around to? What's a goal you've wanted to achieve that you've never put your mind to? Go do all of those things and don't let anybody hold you back. And if you start to fall in love with someone along the way, that's no problem. You can choose to engage in that relationship or not, but don't lose sight of yourself and enjoy that period of being single. And you might just find yourself loving being single so much that you don't commit to somebody until you're absolutely ready to, or when you've achieved a certain goal, or when you're at a certain place in your life. You probably won't even find yourself wanting to date someone again because you've raised your standards so high, because you've fallen in love with yourself. You now know what it means to live a happy life. Why would you sacrifice that for somebody unless they're going to make you additionally more happy? You won't settle for less anymore once you've been single and had a period of solitude because you'll know what it's like to be happy alone. So why would you allow someone in who's going to make you less happy? It doesn't make any sense. And a lot of women end up doing that where they're they're like, all right, I'm going to be single now. And then they're single for years. And that's not a scary thing either. It's totally okay. It's totally healthy. And it's a pretty good sign that you've set really high standards for yourself and you're not willing to lower them for anybody. So now let's move into what's going on in the world. And the first thing I want to talk about, and really the only thing I want to talk about today, is the best and worst dates for women's equality. And I wanted to choose this this week because the main news coming out that's relevant to women right now is about abortion. And I don't want to have to talk about abortion every week on this podcast, not because I don't think it's important. I think it's extremely important and one of the most important things facing women in this country right now. It's just because it's such a saddening topic for me to talk about as someone living in a state where I actually don't have any rights to my body as far as reproductive rights go right now. Like I don't have the right to get an abortion if I needed one right now. Luckily, I'm not in that position, so that's okay. But 
that's not the case for women in the red states. So it's just really, really sad to talk about. And there's not a lot of progress being made in the abortion world right now outside of the absolutely amazing fact that more women are registering to vote right now and they're turning out and more people are voting for blue candidates in red states. So that is a really great signal. And I think it's kind of a sign that Republicans screwed themselves over by thinking that more people would agree with their absolutely insane ban on abortions and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I think they really shot themselves in the foot. And they're seeing that more women and more moderates and more Republicans are willing to show up to the polls and vote these people out who disagree with the fact that uh, women should have the rights to their own body and make their own choices about their reproductive rights and path in their life. So yeah, I think they shot themselves in the foot. And I think that I don't want to talk about the subject much more until there's more news coming out, whether that's really good or really bad, but hopefully really good. And I think that we're headed in the right direction as a country based off the articles I've been seeing and the poll numbers I've been seeing and the people registering to vote. But if you're wondering why I'm like not talking about abortion as much as you thought I would, that is why. So let's talk about the best and worst states for women's equality. And I am reading from wallethub.com. And this article specifically was written by Adam McCann. He's a financial writer and he is talking about a study that was done by Wallet Hub where they compared 50 states across 17 key indicators of gender equality. And some of those indicators are, well, all of those indicators are related to workplace environment, education and health, and political empowerment. So the metrics range from the gap between female and male executives to the disparity in unemployment rates between genders. And that's a direct quote from a article called 10 Best Worst States for Women's Equality, written from Kelly Gooch by Becker's Hospital Review. So I know that's a lot of words I just threw at you, so let's talk about it in a non-robotic way. (laughs) So basically, the main findings of the study say that the best place to be as a woman for women's equality is New Mexico, Nevada, California, New York, Vermont, West Virginia, Hawaii, Maine, Massachusetts, and Michigan. Oh my gosh. Did you hear that lisp? That was crazy. Those are the top 10 states, and then the bottom 10 states are... Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, Kansas, Colorado, Tennessee, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Idaho, Georgia, and Utah. And if you're curious about the smallest and largest income gaps specifically, the smallest income gaps came from Connecticut, California, New Mexico, Texas, and Wisconsin, and the largest income gaps came from Maine, Idaho, Wyoming, Louisiana, and Utah. And I thought that was really shocking because I'm in Texas and there's a lot of sexist people here and a lot of uh, sexist business practices I've had to endure after being in the workplace for a few years. But it's shocking to see that one of the top five places for a smallest income gap is Texas. And the disadvantaged gender, of course, is always women. Um, That's who they're referencing as the disadvantaged gender with the largest and smallest income gaps. And then executive positions gap. I thought this was really interesting because I don't see a lot of people talk about it. Like we talk a lot about are women being paid more? Are women um, able to receive the same like compensation for the same work they're doing for men? That's literally what the pay gap is. Um, But we don't 
I don't think, talk enough about women's access to executive positions. And the states with the smallest gap for executive positions are Wyoming, Alaska, New Mexico, West Virginia, Nevada, and the largest uh, executive positions gap are from Utah, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. And I thought these were so shocking. Like, I would be lying if I said I don't have these stereotypes about different states because I definitely do. So when I read studies like this, I find it so interesting. And of course, it doesn't mean that the study is like 100% talking for everybody in these states, but it means that they did their research enough to find these results uh, with their methodology. So uh, from what I looked at, it seems to be credible. And I think it's really, really interesting because the U.S. is lagging behind in women's equality, especially when you compare it to other developed countries. When you look at the lack of maternal leave, maternal paid leave, when you look at the lack of leave for um, like period related issues, mental health days, you know, that's for both women and men. But like we as a country are just lacking on women's equality. And it's pretty embarrassing when you look at other developed countries. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was a really interesting article and it's interesting to see which states are really failing. And reading directly from the article, the article published by WalletHub, these are, these are just a few things that they had to say. Uh, according to the World Economic Forum's ranking of 146 countries based on gender equality, the United, Sta- the United States ranked 27th, so not even in the top 25 not even in the top 10, but it's somehow still better than last year's ranking where we were 30th. Additionally, women only make up 27% of legislators and 25% of Fortune 500 board seats, despite making up over half of the population. I think it's crazy to just think about that because I say that every podcast. I'm like, just think about that. But really, just think about that. We are over half the population, but only 25 to 27% of us are legislators or uh, Fortune 500 board seats or have Fortune 500 board seats. And that's crazy because when we're over half the population, you'd expect it to, I don't know, be a little closer to 50% instead of a quarter at 25%. Um, And it really shows the disparities of women empowerment in business. And as someone who went to a school for business, I could definitely speak to that. And I'm proud to have been around more women than I ever expected to be when I was in business because of the gaps in business and women empowerment in business. But still really disappointing to see that these are the statistics that we have to face. Like, that's really embarrassing for us as a country. And speaking of countries and the representation, as of today, which is the day that I am recording, editing, and publishing all in one day, Queen Elizabeth II, also known as Her Majesty, has passed away at the age of 96. And that is as of today, September 8th, 2022. She has passed away. So rest in peace, kind of. Um, I'm not her biggest fan. I've never been her biggest fan. And I think... There's only like 44 countries or so that England hasn't colonized. So that kind of speaks for itself and is what I'm alluding to when I say I'm not the biggest fan. 
Okay, here I am, Elise. Listen, sometimes I'm a stupid American, all right? And this was one of those times. You're gonna hear me say invaded by England and Queen of England, but I mean Queen of Britain and invaded by Britain. So just know that, you know, we all have our moments, all right? There's actually only 22 countries that England hasn't invaded, and that's according to worldatlas.com and statista.com only 22 countries. So I don't know, you know, I think death is a complicated thing because people often are hard on people when they're alive and then they die and then people just glorify them and forego everything bad that they've ever done. And I don't believe in that. I don't think it's the right thing to do. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, the queen of England died and she was an angel. I have no idea who she was on a personal level. I know some of the things she's done. I know some of the things she's been accused of doing. And I definitely know the country she ruled over for the last 70 years or I think more than 70 years by now. But yeah, not the biggest fan, but I can understand why it would be a huge loss to some people. So that sucks. Uh, rest in peace? Question mark? I don't know. I don't know if she's really having peace up there because Princess Diana is dead and we all know, you know, what's kind of talked about there. I'm not saying what happened. I'm not accusing anyone of anything, all right? But I am saying that that was a really sketchy situation and now they're both dead. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe she was greeted by Princess Diana or something, you know, anything's possible. Moving on, this week's spotlight of the week and call to action is actually the same organization. I am going to be providing a link in the description of this episode where you can go to the United Nations Refugee Agency website and the link will be directly to a website where you can donate to the Pakistan flood emergency that's going on right now where last time I checked, like 33% or a third of Pakistan is now underwater and millions of people are being displaced and they're out of their homes and they lost everything that they have. So if you would like to donate, and I really hope you do, if you have the money to spare, all you have to do is Google UNHCR, Pakistan Floods Emergency or Pakistan Floods Emergency. And it should come up with a website. Like I said, you can also click the link in the description of this episode or go to anchor.fm slash Elise Garcia, click the episode, and then you can find the link in the description. And yeah, please donate if you can. It would mean a lot to me. It would mean a lot to the people who are being affected by this. And if you do not have the money to spare, then I ask that you please repost any information you see on the flood happening online. Um, I know that people think it doesn't do anything, but I really think it does. I think it lets people know what is going on in the world, and I think it lets people know how bad climate change is getting and how badly and disproportionately it's affecting people who haven't even been the main contributors to climate change to begin with. And it sucks that they have to suffer needlessly because we are destroying our planet. So you can do what you can. That can mean donating for some people, and for some people it's just reposting um, information on their social media accounts that talk about what's going on in Pakistan. And you are absolutely still contributing, and it means a lot to me and people everywhere when you do things like this to help out communities who um, are being affected. And not just affected, but losing their entire homes and livelihoods and everything they have ever worked for. And I can't even imagine what that feels like, so please do what you can. Like I said, that's the also the spotlight of the week. I'm combining both of them for this week because I think it is 
such a huge uh, climate disaster and I don't see a whole lot of people talking about it and it's like one of the worst I have ever heard of and I think it's one of the worst ever on record. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, so yeah, it's really tragic to see this happening. I really want to call attention to it and yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as I loved recording it. I love knowing you guys are listening every week, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye, guys.